This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to get ideas from me so you can stretch every dollar, which we've got to do right now. I want you to know that the folks at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are working night and day now, seven days a week, to make sure that we give you information that helps you conserve every dollar so that you can get through these tough times that have been brought about by a medical problem but have caused a terrible economic problem, not just for us in the United States, but all over the world. Now, one of the provisions designed to try to make Main Street survive this very tough cycle we're in was SBA funding through two vehicles. One, the payroll protection program, the more popular one, and the other, disaster loans that were modified from being for hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, to be for the coronavirus situation businesses find themselves in. And both programs crashed and burned. But now, as Congress goes through the procedure of adopting the fourth coronavirus stimulus law and new funding in there for hospitals, for the important testing we're not doing in the United States to see who has coronavirus or who doesn't, and to give huge amounts of more funding to the payroll protection program that ran out of money really fast, I need to tell you what's unbelievable. I mean, this is a scandal extraordinaire from an industry that just seems to not care about having a terrible public image. And that's the nation's large banks. There are now multiple lawsuits, plus unbelievable, you want to read what's been going on, unbelievable write-ups in Barron's Magazine and in the Financial Times of London about how the banks conspired with big publicly traded companies and large privately held ones to scarf up the initial $349 billion dollars so that it would go to big companies instead of to small. Now, there are a couple of theories why the banks did this. One is that their most important relationships at a big bank, one of the four giant monster megas, or what are known as the super regional banks that together make up the 20 largest banks in the country and account for roughly 80% of banking in the United States, is that they were trying to preserve relationships with who really mattered to them, which were publicly traded companies and large privately held ones. Another theory that will be tested that's part of a number of lawsuits that have now been filed against Chase and Wells Fargo and Bank of America and a number of other banks is that they had calculated under the payroll protection program that they would get a lot more money 
into the bank with the 5% loan origination fee, if they set up their systems electronically to only process the largest loans, because the largest loans would generate, since it was a flat percent fee they got, it would generate the largest fees for the banks. As these cases work through the courts, we'll see which was the real cause. But unbelievable that banks helped publicly traded companies and large private ones work through loopholes in the hastily drawn payroll protection program to steal all the money from small businesses that it was designed for. And I hope that the public exposure of this horrific, horrific behavior by the banks will lead them with the new money coming in, that they will behave this time and do what's right for America instead of what just pads their pockets. So we'll see how they behave coming forward. Part of the fourth stimulus bill is that non-traditional players are going to be able to make these loans to small rural businesses and small businesses in urban and suburban areas of the country that were shut out by this apparent alleged banking conspiracy to cheat small Main Street businesses, mom-and-pop businesses, out of payroll protection program money. So I'm going to keep a focus on this because what's happened is inexcusable in a national pandemic and the fallout from the economic problems. And one company that's so worried about its public image did the right thing after doing the wrong thing. Shake Shack is giving back the $10 million it got, pretending to be some tiny local small business. And public pressure and exposure of others that used loopholes to steal money from this program that was designed to go to small privately held businesses should follow Shake Shack and say, hey, this was our bad. Here's the money back. Lend it to businesses that the program was intended for. And we'll see over the next week if businesses that cheated the system Game the system. Do the right thing. Now, we are continuing to answer your questions in a different than normal format. Please, as you're continuing to do by the thousands, post your questions for me at clark.com ask. And then producers Kim and Joel are alternating asking your questions. And Kim, who do you have first? First up today is Gus. Gus says, I own a small business with 14 employees and I got approved and received a PPP loan. Unfortunately, some of my employees won't be coming back longer than the required eight weeks of the Paycheck Protection Program. One of them isn't coming back because she went on unpaid maternity leave and the other is a college student who had to head back to her home state due to her school shutdown and she won't be back into the fall. Am I required to pay them while they're away in order to qualify for forgiveness? So that is a great question. So the intention of the program is to get money to people, even if you don't have work for them right now. 
that that was the as best I can surmise was the intent of the hastily drawn original PPP program. So that's redundant to say PPP program, uh, the PPP loans. So you pay them anyway, keep them on your payroll, and then at the end of 60 days, that money runs out. The purpose of this is a form of, it's a double thing. The PPP is about helicopter money that pumps money into the economy so people can pay their bills. And second, that a business is able to maintain a semblance of its existence so that when the pandemic lifts and business activity restores, that the businesses that are so much the heart of America, roughly half of employment in the United States, or small businesses this program is targeted at, that you're able to resume business with an experienced, well-trained workforce. So I would say, my best guess, you pay those two people for the 60 days, just like everybody else. After that point, then if they're no longer going to be part of the business, that's fine. But paying them, everybody paying them through this time is key to you having the loan forgiveness. And by the way, if that interpretation is wrong, good luck finding a right one because the rules are so not clear. Joel? Clark Nishad has a question. He says, I have rental properties and my tenant has paid half the rent. Is asking for forgiveness for the other half and potentially for the next several months until the economy turns around. They're also asking about waiving of early termination fees and penalties. What are my options to help them? Because I have a mortgage to pay as well. What have you heard from other landlords? It's completely your option how you do this, and everybody's handling it differently. And producer Joel will just ask the question, you have five rental properties yourself, and you've been faced with tenants asking for things. And so as a landlord... Of individual properties, I'm not talking about one of the huge commercial and personal landlords, you have a tougher time than a professional landlord because they can just hide behind, oh, this is our rules, this is our procedures. You're being reached out to person to person. You reach the accommodation that you are comfortable with, with your tenant, and that you can live with. So a tenant has asked you for these things, and... There's an old expression about you have to stay on your side, meaning in accommodating someone, you got to make sure that you don't cause unnecessary harm to yourself. So whatever accommodation you can reach with the tenant that doesn't put you in extreme harm's way would be likely the fairest thing for you to do. But there is no specific roadmap. This is an ad hoc thing landlord by landlord, tenant by tenant, how you uh, reach an accommodation with that tenant. And the reality is if a tenant has no money, they're not going to pay you. And that's a reality of this circumstance also. Kim? Adam says, I want to surprise my stay-at-home wife with a tablet. My job is secure. Should I wait for better deals as the pandemic lingers or go ahead and buy one? We're an Apple family and I would prefer an iPad. So there's been a shortage of laptops, Chromebooks especially, because so many schools use Chromebooks, uh, tablets of all kinds. And so 
if the idea is buying this as a discretionary purchase, I would say there's been a huge initial demand for devices. And at the same time, almost all Apple products are manufactured in Asia, in China specifically. And so those factories were not operating. They are all back up and running. So I would say that a little waiting time here would be to your advantage on getting an iPad that probably we're looking at uh, late May to mid-June would probably be a good time window for you to buy that tablet for your wife. But now would not be a great idea. Joel? Clark Stevens says, with the recent Fed drop in interest rate to zero, when do you think rates for mortgages will be at their low point in the coming months? I have an adjustable interest-only HELOC on my home that I want to convert to a 30-year fixed rate. I'm not desperate to convert as the current rate is pretty low, but I'm looking to try and time this as best as I can with what rates are going to do over the next few months. Right. So fascinating scenario because your home equity line of credit sets based on a different index than how mortgages set. Mortgages set loosely based on the 10-year treasury, where your HELOC sets based on the prime rate, some formula using the prime rate, which is ultimately influenced by the interest rates the Fed controls. But the 10-year treasury is actually controlled by the marketplace. So mortgage rates are at or near an all-time low, and there's an especially big advantage right now to do something different than you asked about, and that is if you can afford doing a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30. You know, I am a huge fan of 15-year loans, but especially now because the marketplace advantage is so high for going into a 15-year refi versus going into a 30. So if you can afford that monthly payment, there's not really a big point in waiting. If a lender is available who is willing to do that 15-year refi for you, particularly look at credit unions, I would do that. If you have to go into a 30, really not a point in waiting for that either. I just don't like the idea of you taking HELOC money and having to pay interest on it for 30 years. That's an ugly number of years to do that. Normally at this time, you'd be hearing the Clark Rageous moment where we talk about something rotten, terrible people are doing to each other, but that's not what we're doing right now. We are talking about things that people are doing to help each other, and we're calling it the Clark Rave because we all need some good news right now, and for the second time in just the last few days with the Clark Rave, we're going to talk about what kids are doing to help others. But it's about a Boy Scout named Quinn who has a 3D printer, and he's using the 3D printer to create four medical workers wearing face masks that make the mask much more comfortable. Because if you think about it, if you're wearing one, most hospital workers are working 12-hour shifts now, you're wearing masks over the course of a day, they get very uncomfortable. And it gets to be kind of a miserable thing. And so Quinn came up with this thing that he can print on the 3D printer that specifically makes masks much more comfortable for the healthcare workers. And he just prints one after another after another 
using his 3D printer. There's a cute picture of him as a scout with all these in front of him. And I think it just is so instructive in a nation that is divided as we are that there's so much good stuff going on and so many people who are doing things out of the goodness of their hearts to help each other. And I think it's wonderful all the various efforts going on with mostly adults, but I love pointing out what the kids are doing, using 3D printing technology to solve problems, particularly for first responders, grocery workers, and health workers that need protective gear that is in such short supply to make a difference like this. It says, hey, ah, well, isn't it terrible? There's not enough of this, that, or the other available. Stepping up and making a difference. So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where our goal is to empower you with knowledge so you can stretch every dollar right now, which is so key. And Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, our whole team is working. They're working shifts to cover around the clock right now, seven days a week, to get the latest information for you about ways you can stretch every dollar that you do have. Now, we've had a deluge of complaints about two industries that have not played right by consumers. One is the ticket sellers, particularly Ticketmaster, and then travel suppliers that have not been making refunds to people. So last week, we took a lot of complaints about Ticketmaster not doing refunds, and there were lawsuits filed against Ticketmaster and all that. And now Ticketmaster has changed its policy again and now says, without admitting that they were doing the wrong thing, they now say that they're going to make refunds to people. In fact, the statement from the president of Ticketmaster says, Ticketmaster intends to honor our longstanding practice of allowing refunds on canceled or postponed shows. And they are going to do so starting May 1st, and you're going to be able to obtain refunds for canceled or rescheduled shows. And they're going to be available if a show has a new scheduled date you're going to be able to apply for a refund for it for up to 30 days. So let's say a show is still on the schedule for a concert and they haven't postponed it, canceled it, anything. And then the band decides, you know what, we're rescheduling that date from June the 14th to November 6th. Well, once they announce that, and what you want really is a refund of your ticket, you're going to be able to apply, once that announcement of a new date is made, you're going to be able to apply, but you must do so within 30 days. So you got to pay close attention, because if an event is rescheduled and you don't notice, your lack of action within the 30 days means you're not eligible for a refund. 
So there are people sitting with hundreds, if not in some cases for some, some events, thousands of dollars laid out there for an event. And so now there is a procedure where Ticketmaster has bent to the will of Congress and very angry people and is going to make refunds available. And, you know, the airlines are all getting sued, all our airlines are getting sued for not doing refunds, even after being notified by the U.S. Department of Transportation that when they cancel a flight, they got to make a refund to you. But the airlines are so short of cash and so desperate that they just figure they're not going to follow the law. But my experience from talking to people is that if you are persistent, don't get nasty, but you're persistent, you can actually reach somebody with an airline, they will then process a refund for you. So it's all about something I talk about dealing with any impersonal bureaucracy is polite persistence pays. Now, I had an experience uh, for a trip I had booked using what are known as avios, which are frequent flyer points that are used by a number of European airlines. And I had used avios, which I have from a credit card, to book a trip for my son and me to go to Europe in May. And then I got a notice that the flight was canceled. And if you're not familiar, when you fly a European airline on frequent flyer miles, you use your points and then you also pay a lot of airline junk fees. Well, when the flight canceled, and I got a notice that it had been canceled, I was also told that I was only entitled to rebook for a future date. And they gave me a specific window that we were allowed to travel. Well, with Frequent Flyer, I just wanted the points redeposited and the junk fees refunded to me. But normally you'd be able to do that even if there wasn't an airline cancel, you're able to do that. Well, I started trying to call British Airways last Tuesday. Tried day after day after day, and I'd call up, and I'd wait on hold 60 minutes. And then at the 60th minute, they would disconnect the call. Other times I'd call, and they say they couldn't take your call at all, so you couldn't even wait. And then I read in a British newspaper that people were having their best success calling right when the reservation center opened. So I got up very early in the morning and really the middle of the night, Saturday morning, called and only waited 21 minutes, got to somebody who was um, worried I was going to start yelling at her, which I did not do. Flight persistence, right? And said uh, that I was calling because my flight was canceled and, and that I wanted a refund. And she said, put me on hold, came back, said, I got to put you on hold again. And then after about 20 minutes, 20 more minutes after the 21 I'd waited initially, I was processed for a redeposit of my points, which happened within minutes. And then I got a notice from my credit card company today where I disputed the junk fee charge that I'd gotten a credit for the dollars as well. So it's not easy, but if you stick to it, you have a great chance of getting that refund, at least from airlines. 
I can tell you, though, with the third-party booking things like Expedia, people are still having massive problems trying to get any kind of refund. And Expedia is, owns a lot of different uh, travel sites, and they have just not been up to the challenge to this point, and they need to get it together. And I don't remember, is it Kim or Joel is up next asking questions you posted at Clark.com slash ask. That would be me. And this is Hi, Hi, this is from Ron. Ron says, I am an Uber driver who has lots of deductible expenses. Is there an app that I can use to help document and add expenses? Yeah, you know, there's one that I've liked for when I've been asked this by people who um, work in sales and they have to track all their expenses. And it's one of those that has a freemium business model called Triplog which is really easy to use, has really, really solid ratings in the uh, Google Play Store and the, the iTunes Store for Apple or whatever they call theirs now. So if you go to Triplog, they'll, once you've downloaded it, they'll keep pitching you the paid version, but I think you'll find that the free version will do most of what you're looking for if you need more capability you just pay them for the paid version. Joel? Clark Rebecca says, My husband and I have a Spain and Portugal cruise in July that we expect will be canceled. We know from cruises that have been canceled thus far by the company that they're offering a full refund or a 115% credit that will be paid towards a future cruise good through December 31st, 2022. Which one do you think we should choose? Well, you know, I think my answer's changed a little bit on this. Actually, it's changed a lot. And here's the scoop. So before I said, hey, you know, they're offering you 20% extra. Why don't you take it? Now I'm not really thinking that way. And what I'm suggesting instead is that you take the money. And the reason you want to take the money is that we just don't know, since the cruise lines have proven not to be eligible for any government assistance, who's going to make it and who's not. So I'd rather you have the cash. But there's another factor, too, and that is the cruise lines may well inflate the cost of future cruises doing funny money accounting, knowing that so many people have bonus money sitting in their accounts and that they'll just charge higher retail prices for the cruises. Kim? Richard says... I had scheduled a surgery at the end of March and had pre-op done a couple of days before the surgery. The surgery was now moved to June due to the coronavirus. I am supposed to have another pre-op because the first one was only good for a couple of weeks. The pre-op cost $500 out of pocket after insurance. Do I have to pay for the second pre-op? I understand it's not the hospital's fault, but it's not my fault either. I am so sorry to be the bearer of bad news you are the one who's on the hook for the second pre-op. And it's because the service rendered the first time became basically uh, useless. And so another cycle of that's going to occur. So what I would do is I would try to negotiate a discount on that with the hospital because you've already had it once and it's going to create a financial hardship. You do that before the second pre-op, 
not after, because you're in such a weak position to negotiate anything after. And it would be logical to someone that you'd say, hey, you know, already paid for this once, and I understand we got to do it again. Can you give me a deal on it would be the right thing to do up front. Joel? Clark Rhonda says, my bank will let me hold off on my mortgage payments for six months, but this puts me in forbearance. They will restructure the loan at the end of that six months. What if something happens in the meantime that makes me not qualify for the restructured loan, though? Can we be, can we be denied for the loan? I don't really trust the banks after going through this in the 0809 crash. And so should we just continue to make the payments? All right. First of all, congratulations, because you were the first person who we've had post on Clark.com slash ask who was offered the six-month forbearance instead of the three-month. So under i'm trying to remember which of the first three stimulus laws concern this it may have been the second um anyway that if your loan was underwritten behind the curtain by the federal government through fannie mae freddie mac any of the various federal agencies which most loans are that you were eligible for six-month forbearance which the banks have been ignoring and only offering people three months the expectation at the end of the six months is if you are still suffering financial hardship at that point, you're allowed to ask for up to another six months till you're back on your feet. At the end of that time, you're not supposed to have to requalify in any way for the loan. The expectation is that the months, the six or more, whatever number up to 12, that you had forbearance, that those will be added to the back end of your loan. So let's say, just for argument's sake, you had a 30-year loan. It'll now be recalculated that you have a 30.5-year loan to account for those six months, and you'll have to pay those at the end of the road. So one other thing, anyone in any of these federally um I guess we'd call them sponsored forbearance programs, you are not to be reported to the credit bureau as delinquent. There are already anecdotal reports that people are being reported as delinquent to the credit bureaus, which is not how this is supposed to play. Kim? Christian says, as a self-employed individual, I haven't received or heard anything about possible unemployment. I look at my state's Department of Labor, he's in New York, by the way, and it doesn't mention anything for self-employed individuals. I know it's called a PUA loan, but there's no reference on how I would apply for it. Also, I haven't received my stimulus check, and I've been unable to see anything under the Get My Payment IRS website. Things are going to get tough really soon. I'm really sorry. So the bigger money is the state unemployment go ahead and file with New York for unemployment. This has generally been the best procedure around the country. States are having to rewrite software to allow applications for self-employed independent contractors and gig workers. So you go ahead and apply, and depending on how the software rewrites working in a state, they may then reject you, which then gets you in the system as being rejected, and then as part of the process of getting unemployment as a self-employed person. It is convoluted, weird, and the time period to get money 
in your case is going to be a while. Now on the, and I wish I could tell you it wouldn't be, it's just taking states time to rewrite and process. The um, stimulus check, if you had a 2018 or 2019 return with direct deposit of money owed back to you, then your stimulus check should be coming electronically pretty quickly. The IRS says they're having problems with the website to process the information to let you know what your status is. And all I can tell you about that, you have to keep trying because there is no one you can call and talk to right now at the IRS. And if Misery Loves, Loves Company, know that you're not alone. There are millions of people suffering with the same frustration you are that the relief that you've been promised by the Congress is not making it through the state and federal bureaucracies. As we continue to answer questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask, here's producer Joel. Clark Ken says, my daughter is set to graduate from college in May with a BA in English. I don't know how much college debt she incurred, but I think it's significant, and I know most of it is private loans. Although her first loan payment is delayed after uh, until a year after she graduates, I'm still concerned for her with the effects of COVID-19 on the economy. So can you provide any advice for her and others who are graduating college this spring with regard to finding a job that'll pay enough? First, I'm really surprised and disappointed that she's very heavily private student loaned up because that's not a normal thing anymore. Um, if she does have a lot of private loans, and she's got a clock that's going to tick where one year out she's going to have to be in a position to start paying. The good news is that a year is forever in this coronavirus situation. If you go back six weeks ago, nobody was even thinking about this. The recovery, as I've said, will be, as I've said in the past, will be choppy from coronavirus. But a year is so far in the future that the odds are really strong that she's going to be employed and be able to be paying on these loans as agreed. Don't worry about that yet. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. Now, imagine this. You are in the final weeks of your senior year of college, and suddenly you're coming into a job market that has unemployment numbers of a level last seen during the Great Depression in the 1930s. So what in the world do you do? You know, I have uh, my oldest daughter graduated college in the teeth of the Great Recession in 2009. The job market was pathetic. And finding a career-type job was not in the cards right when she came out of school. But... She needed to work. And so she turned to something that she loved, but she had no interest really in doing as a job. She, during the worst of the recession, 
worked at a veterinary practice, veterinary medicine practice, as a vet, I guess it was called a vet assistant, which means you do everything and didn't pay a lot of money, but she got to do something that she loved that never would have been a career. And then as the economy got a little better, she was able to get a, a job that she really loved working for an ad agency. And so she first took something that, as she said, Dad, I didn't need to go to college to do this. And I said, don't worry about it. You're putting food on the table for now. And that's the kind of choice people may have to make. The other thing is this is not forever. This isn't going to be anything like the Great Recession where it took eight years for the job market to recover from 2007 to 2015. This isn't going to be like that. Because even though jobs have fallen off a cliff, the recovery from this, because it didn't start as an economic problem, started as a health problem, the health problem will be solved, the economy will recover. The other thing that a lot of people had great success with during the Great Recession coming out of college was they started their own business. Counterintuitive, right? But everything you need to access is cheaper when the economy goes in the toilet. And it may make you an entrepreneur much sooner than you would have thought. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. So I want to tell you that there's been so much coverage of what the PPP, the Payroll Protection Program, would do, the failures of the feds to properly execute the program, the failure of the banks to process applications, sometimes because of problems with the federal system, sometimes because the banks just don't want to do them for anybody other than key clients. But there is an alternative that I wanted to mention to you that is available to about three-quarters of employers in the United States, at least three-quarters of workers in the United States, and that is programs that allow for prorated unemployment. So this is really a newer concept, but something that a number of states have been doing for a while, but is encouraged by the coronavirus stimulus acts. So I'm an employer, things are slow right now, let's say, and I don't have enough work or enough money to pay somebody for 40 hours, but I got enough to pay them for 15, let's say. Well, historically, with unemployment compensation, it's been an all or nothing. You either pay somebody to work or you lay them off and they go on unemployment. But now in a majority of states and particularly states with big population, you can, as an employer, do a what's known as a partial layoff where someone has hours cut back and that employee is still eligible for a partial unemployment check. So you pay them money for working fewer hours, and then unemployment in a ratio kicks in and pays them.
And unfortunately, this is something that most employers don't know exists. It's not every state. But odds are, if you check, since the overwhelming percent of workers in the country are covered by this kind of thing in states, to see if it is something that would be a potential answer for you. I read an item in the Wall Street Journal about how enough employers are aware of this in certain states like Colorado and Wisconsin that the states have allocated extra workers just to help process these applications. And think about the advantage of this, that when the clouds lift from coronavirus and an employer's business picks up, the trained worker who you already know and they already know you scales back up with more hours. You don't have to go try to find workers again. You don't have to try to train somebody else. It's much less disruptive for the worker as well. This, to me, is in a very difficult situation with an unknown ending as we face with coronavirus, a great interim solution that needs more people to know about and use. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.